Hey folks, this is Kevin. On today's episode, you'll hear Genevieve Mueller. I guess he was like imagining the penis inside of me. <laughs> I think maybe some of you are right now. That and more. But before that, as you might remember, Chris Castiglione was a member of the Risk team for a long time. He created our site at risk-show.com. And with his business partner, Matan, Chris went on to create an online class called One Month HTML. A lot of Risk fans took the class and commented on just how easy it is to learn to code with the One Month video course. But remember, the One Month guys have an even more popular course, One Month Rails. One Month Rails is a series of bite-sized video lessons and step-by-step tutorials that teach anyone, even a total beginner, how to build their first web application, like a photo sharing app, in just 30 days. If you get stuck, there's always a real person that can help you. In One Month Rails, you'll learn Ruby on Rails, HTML, CSS, Bootstrap, GitHub, and more. Over 14,000 students have already started building their dream app and taking their career to the next level. So what are you waiting for? Enroll now at onemonth.com slash risk loves you. Enrollment is typically $99, but if you join now, you'll get a one-time discount of 25% off for joining. And of course, you'll be helping to support risk. Again, it's one month rails, 30 minutes a day for 30 days, and you'll actually build your first web app. Also, with the holidays almost here, you don't have time to go to the post office. It will be packed with so many people you'll want to scream, so use stamps.com instead. You'll use your own computer and printer to print your U.S. postage for your letters and packages. We use stamps.com. Why don't you use stamps.com? Right now, get this special offer when you use my promo code RISK. It's a no-risk trial, and we know that's just confusing. (gasps) Plus $110 bonus off for the digital scale. And free postage. Go to stamps.com before anything else. Click the mic on the homepage and type in risk. That's stamps.com. Enter risk. Now here's the show. Kids, this is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, and this is Dean Elliott and his swinging big band behind me now. We're calling today's episode Live Sex Show 
part two, because we're going to have a few more stories from our trip to Albuquerque. We were a part of the Pornotopia Festival there, and we are going to feature just one story from the Body Storytelling Show in San Francisco. You'll notice that uh, this episode is a bit of a size queen, kids. This episode has a bit of a, a penis fetish, if you know what I mean, and that's why we're going to start... <laughs> with the comedian Genevieve Mueller with a story we call Two Soda Cans. How you guys doing tonight? I'm going to tell you a story about what I learned when I didn't have sex with my boyfriend for eight months. <laughs> I learned that not having sex is awful. That's what I learned. But before I tell you about my boyfriend, I want to tell you about my husband. <laughs> I met my husband in 2006. Uh, we met online. It was something that I never, never did, but my friends convinced me to like make this online profile, and I did, and his friends had convinced him to do it, so he did, and we met online, and we talked for a while, and then the first time that I met Robbie in person was at a cafe downtown, and it was a really cold night. It was around you know 9.30 at night, and I was all bundled up, and it was right in the middle of October, and I walked into this cafe, and I see this man with a curliest brown hair and the bluest eyes. They were like sapphires. And I sit down, and he says, you're gorgeous. I'm an alcoholic, and I'm bipolar. <laughs> and I didn't run out, and I think it was because of his eyes. <laughs> And we had a great time, and we drank coffee, and we ate croissants, and it was very nice. And then by the end of the day, he said, uh, you're going to be my wife. <laughs> and that's when I freaked out. I can deal with alcoholism and manic depression, but you want me to marry you? Are you crazy? <laughs> about a month later, though, I moved in with him. And about uh, three months later, he tattooed my name on his chest, so I was pretty much his. <laughs> And then we got married, and I had a baby. And about five months after my child was born, my alcoholic husband, uh, his liver failed, and so did his kidneys. And so I sat in the hospital for about a week, and he passed away, and I went home, and I cried with my son for about two years. And then one morning at the breakfast table, I'm sitting down, and I'm... I'm looking at my son's blue eyes, just like his daddy's, and I think, I should write a joke about my dead husband. <laughs> and the first joke that I wrote about my dead husband goes like this. I said, you know, it's really hard when you're dating and you're a widow and you have to tell like the guy that you're dating that you're a widow. You have to explain that the last relationship that you were in, the guy died. <laughs> And, but you have to say it, and you see them, and, it, and you feel bad for them, and they have this kind of look in their eyes. And you, and you know they don't mean it, but just for a second, they kind of think, oh my gosh, she killed him. 
that's a rough first date. <laughs> so that's the joke that I wrote, and I decided to take it to open mics. Because I had done comedy before, but it was about seven years. I started when I was in England, and I didn't do it for seven years because I was a mom, and moms don't talk about dicks on stage. <laughs> but I do. <laughs> and I will in a second. <laughs> So I wrote this and I went to a bunch of open mics and I finally got booked for an actual show and it was at a, an Irish biker bar in town, right? So I get to the show and I do my like five, you know, tentative minutes about dating again and about dick pictures because that's dating. <laughs> and then the headliner goes up and his name is Brad. Brad Porn Penis. I'll get to the porn penis in a second. And he does his, you know, his, his bits, and, his, and there's this heckler in the audience, and the heckler keeps saying, Phoenix is better than Albuquerque. And Brad keeps saying, you being quiet is you better than being talking. <laughs> and Brad controlled that stage, and when I saw him, I was like, Brad, could, could you control me too? Because I'm definitely going to fuck him. But you see, Brad lived about six hours away in Denver, so I barely saw him, and so I decided, well, I'm just gonna Facebook message him, which I did. So I Facebook messaged him, and I gave him my number, and I said, if you're ever in town, you know, just text me, and maybe we should hang out. And he took me up on it. Now, I had just started dating again, guys. It's been two years, right? There was two years of, like, crying about my dead husband, and then I was like, fuck it. So, so he asked me out, and I go out, and I get like really nervous, and I you know put on a dress, and I make my make sure my boobs look okay, and I get there, and I sit down, and he's not there yet, and I'm waiting. He finally walks in, and he sits down, and he's like, "Hi," and I was like, "Let's get drunk," and we did. We got so drunk, and he bought me shot after shot, and he was doing shot after shot. And you see, Brad, he doesn't live here, but he. He worked on movies, and so, you know, the movies, they would give him, like, a place to stay, you know? So the night goes on and on and on, and we get drunker and drunker and drunker, and I eventually am saying, yeah, let's go back to your place, and his place was a motel. Out in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> so I go in, and we were sitting on the bed, and, you know, and he's, we're doing a kind of awkward thing where he's like, hey, it's my birthday tomorrow. I was like, yeah, I guess I'll fuck you. Happy birthday. <laughs> so we're kissing, and he's taking off my clothes, and I'm taking off his clothes, and you know, and then I pull his pants down, and then I see it. <laughs> the porn penis that I was talking about, I see it. And it's like two soda cans stacked on top of each other. That's a measurement for penises, guys. <laughs> two soda cans. <laughs> And I forgot that I was drunk and then I was in this really dingy motel in the middle of nowhere and I put that penis inside of me. And I felt like a woman again. It's amazing what a really big dick will do for you. I had been defined by this thing about being a widow and I hadn't dated and I hadn't had sex and I finally felt like, no, I'm okay. Everything is gonna be okay. Two soda cans, guys. So he comes back into town during that summer about six other times. And so I had experiences with this penis about six other times. And I decided by the end of the summer, you know, maybe sometimes you need more than like a really big penis. 
Like sometimes. <laughs> and he lives so far away. And so like, you know, I texted him and I talked to him and I was like, you know, maybe this isn't going to work out because I feel like a woman again. And I feel like a woman who needs like a man here. And he was fine with it because the thing about Brad is that he knows he's not a good boyfriend and he'll totally admit that. And it was fun and everything was okay. And I found myself back at that, that biker bar doing comedy and that's when I met Martin. And he's also a comic. So I dated two comics in a row. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> but Martin was so sweet. He was like this six foot four teddy bear. You know, and I, and I felt good again. I felt like, okay, I'm a person, and I can date, and I can be with a person, and it was great, and it was passionate, and it was more than just a penis. It was like a really passionate penis. <laughs> but Brad didn't like that. He didn't like that I was dating another comic. He was okay with me not dating him, but he didn't want me to date someone else that was kind of like him and had the same profession. And it's not like, you know, Brad and, Brad and Martin, they kind of knew each other, but Brad was away for so much that I didn't really know how good of friends they really were. Turns out they kind of were. <laughs> and so we got mad at Martin, and one night, you know, they're, they're, they're texting each other, they're kind of arguing, and Martin's like, let's be friends. And Brad's like, no. <laughs> and then Brad sends Martin a picture of his porn penis. <laughs> With the caption, I think I know who won. <laughs> That's what I thought too. Not that Brad had won, but the oh, he just did. I thought that. And then everything changed between Martin and I at that point. It was like he just couldn't look at me the same way. I guess he was, like, imagining the penis inside of me. I think maybe some of you are right now. And so the sex kind of just stopped. And I can count how many times in eight months that we kind of had sex. It was five. Five times in eight months, guys. But neither of us finished. Like, neither of us orgasmed. In case you didn't know what finished meant. <laughs> and so I was like, I, I like regressed to high school. I'm like, is that sex? Did I just, did I go all the way? <laughs> I decided not to count that. No. So eight months, no sex. And no intimacy. And no relationship, really. And it was hard, and every time that I tried to initiate it and he would just kind of say no, I felt guilty. And I actually got to the point where I was like, why'd you date the soda cans man? <laughs> Which is irrational, I know. And then, you know, one night we're on the couch and we're watching Netflix, and it's another one of those watching Netflix instead of having sex kind of nights. And he's playing on his phone. And he kind of just he decides to go to the bathroom and he leaves his phone on the couch and he didn't lock it. And there's a part of me thinking, we haven't had sex for eight months. Who have you been having?
having sex with? So I picked up his phone, and I know that's wrong. And he doesn't know that, but now he does. And I looked through, and he had been flirting with so many women. And the thing is that made me feel the worse was that he was telling them things like, you're so pretty and you're so talented. And that's what I wanted to hear. Because who doesn't want to hear pretty and talented? And so I just ended it. And I didn't tell him that I looked through his phone. I didn't tell him. I just said, it's not going to work. I don't feel like it's going to work. Because I didn't want that to be the reason. And then I didn't feel so bad. Because I had felt guilty about not being able to deal with my boyfriend's insecurities. To comfort him. To I felt like it was my fault. Like I was, I was broken somehow because I had a dead husband and I had a dick that I fucked once. Like it was my fault. But at that point, I let it all go. It's him. It's his intimacy issues. I'm not going to feel ashamed about who I have sex with. I'm not going to feel ashamed about any part of my sexuality because sometimes my sexuality <coughs> includes penises that are two soda cans stacked <laughs> on top of each other. <laughs> Genevieve Mueller, guys, that's my story. checked the news within the past uh, half hour or hour but um, this is true this might turn out to be terribly tragic so maybe I shouldn't even be joking about it I, it, sound, it sounds pretty tragic but also sounds kind of funny someone in New Mexico uh, their penis was left on someone else's porch <laughs> investigators are now trying to figure out who that penis belongs to it's going to be all over your news tonight. I would say that if that penis looks anything like two soda cans stacked on top of each other, we will know that maybe once again, Genevieve killed him. All righty. Let us bring up to the stage next. You can find him on Twitter at Eric C. Mac. That's Eric with a C plus another C plus Mac. Please welcome the stage, Eric Mack! So, this is a story about when reality intrudes on fantasy. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> and so this starts shortly after college when I did the thing that we all do after college and I moved to a really tiny village in the Alaskan bush. <laughs> and I, I mean tiny village. There were 700 year-round residents and it was just below the Arctic Circle. There were no roads to this place. Everything was flown in or out or, you know, 10-hour snowmobile ride. Uh, but there was one bar there overlooking the Yukon River and I spent a lot of my weekends there during the three years that I lived there. And on one particular Friday night in my second year there, I went to the bar with my friend Kevin, different Kevin, and there was a beautiful woman at the bar that I had never seen in the village before. 
which was a very rare occurrence in a village of 700 people. And she was strikingly beautiful, and I'm talking about, she was not trying, either. When I first saw her across the bar, she was sitting on a duct tape bar stool in this falling down bar, and she was wearing just a dark track suit, and no makeup, no hair, zero effort whatsoever. But she had these dark eyes and dark olive complexion, dark hair, and, and something about the eyes. I mean, I know it's kind of cliche, but they just totally drew me in. And it was almost, like, unfair. Like, it, these eyes were setting a trap or something. Like, they kind of hinted at something mischievous and a little naughty at the core of this person. Mm -hmm. So, we're introduced, uh, and for our purposes, uh, let's say her name is Lisa. And we get to talking, and Lisa's story is that she had grown up in this small village, she had moved to Anchorage, and she had become a stripper at a club there, and she was home for the weekend visiting family. When I heard that she was a stripper, I kind of did the involuntary sleazy guy thing, and I checked her out a little more thoroughly, and she was the complete package. I mean, uh, she was beautiful, and I realized that she reminded me, actually, of a girl that I had gone to high school with who had gone on to become an exotic dancer and was definitely the subject of many of my kind of stereotypical aggressive woman fantasies. <laughs> We're talking at the bar, her, my friend Kevin, and after a while she gets tired of the bar and wants to go back to my place and check it out. So something you should know about my place in the village is that it was definitely not a castle. Uh, it was actually a double-wide trailer next to the radio station where I worked. And this meant it was right in the middle of the village. Uh, and, and so we go back there, and we have a few drinks. Uh, Kevin, Lisa, myself, my 17-year-old roommate was also there. Um, and <laughs> and uh, after, after a couple of drinks, Lisa just stops the conversation cold. Uh, literally, she says, you guys, stop it. You're boring me. Somebody needs to kiss me right now. And she looks directly at me. So this is bait I'm happy to take. And so I, I lean in and I kind of give her kind of a pathetic fifth grade peck on the, on the lips. And my friends are on the couch behind us just giggling. And she reacts by slapping me right across the face. But not for the reason I thought. She says, you can do better than that. You need to be more aggressive. I need it more violent. So I'm a little disconcerted, but... I go in, and this time it's like a ninth grade style, like sloppy, open mouth, just pathetic. And I'm kissing her, and as I'm doing this, behind her head, I'm motioning to my friends on the couch, the universal sign for, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> and so they oblige, and they go out the front door, and we're able to, to start making out, and it's fantastic. This is like my fantasy from high school, and I, I feel like, like James Dean. I'm like the porn star who gets to be with the girls that... Most other guys, who are usually me, are just jacking off to in the parking lot. But it doesn't last for long, because my roommate comes bounding back in the front door, and he says, Eric, the fucking cops are outside. And so, what the fuck, and I go and I look out the door, and sure enough, the lone police car and the lone cop in the village are parked across the street from my house, shining a spotlight onto the front window of my double-wide trailer, which is really fucking stupid because the window is completely iced over. No fucking light goes through that thing. And on top of it, like, I know the only cop in town. We're friendly. And so I say to Lisa, stay right where you are. Don't move. I'll go across the street and I'll deal with the cops. So I walk across the street to uh, Police Chief Dan, and I, he rolls down his window, and I say, hey, Dan, what's going on? 
Um, I just interviewed this guy on the radio the day before. And <laughs> so Dan says, uh, you know, look, Mr. Mack, I'm very sorry. Um, don't mean to disturb you. We just had a report that there is a major cocaine dealer in town from Anchorage, and they were seen leaving the bar with you, according to reports. And so I say, well, you know, look, there's clearly been some sort of misunderstanding. I mean, yeah, I was at the bar, but there was no talk of drugs. I didn't see any drugs, which is true. Uh, and so we chat a little bit, and he seems satisfied, and he drives off. My roommate and my friend also make themselves scarce, so I go back in the trailer to continue my conquest. And when I go inside, Lisa's not in the living room. She's standing instead in the bathroom with the door open, and she's staring at herself in the mirror and just kind of giggling. And I'm looking at her, and then I realize that all over the sink and on the floor, cocaine is spilled all over the place. <laughs> but before I can start to freak out about the cops, Lisa grabs me, and she shoves her hand down the front of my pants, and she grabs my cock and just squeezes. And the resulting erection was something like a phallic sword. It, at least one soda can tall. <laughs> they have those little cans now. <laughs> but it is a phallic sword and it is slicing through the red flags that are flapping like crazy in my head. And so, my heart on vanquishes all my worries about the clear, reckless behavior of the woman in my trailer and the impending DEA SWAT team that may be surrounding my house at the very moment. So, now the transition to the bedroom wasn't quite the passionate clothes-tearing session that you might imagine. It was a little more like being led by my cock to my own bed, like a dog on a leash. But I decided to roll with it and take the chivalrous approach. And so, get to the bed, I take off her pants and I start to go down on her. But I don't get very far because she grabs me by the back of the neck, which is weird, like a puppy, and she, she, she says, did you brush your teeth? And I don't really get the joke, uh, and so but I kind of laugh and just go back to what I was doing. She grabs me again and says, no, I'm serious. You have to go brush your teeth and wash your hands right now. And I, I don't know if this is just the cocaine and the booze talking or what, but you know, I want to humor her and I want to realize this childhood fantasy that seems to be playing out. And so I go and I have a little wash-up session in the bathroom and I come back and I go back to work. And again, she says, well, just stop. Are you sure you washed your hands really well? And I'm getting a little irritated with the OCD session that's suddenly going on. And so I try to turn things more to my advantage. And I say, well, I tell you what, Lisa, why don't you come and take a shower with me and you can scrub me down to your complete satisfaction. But it's not really that great of an offer because my shower is kind of disgusting. And the window in there is also frosted over. So it's not exactly that enticing. But the offer seems to disarm her a little bit. And she says, you know what, forget it. Just come here and let me fuck you. So I go to the bed, and as she's climbing on top of me, I mean, you can kind of 
feel her taking control of her own situation again. And looking back now, almost 12 years later, I mean, it, it, it seems clear that night that there were like two leases in my house. There was the coked up, uh, drunk, uh, kind of out of control, possibly addict. Uh, and then there was this persona that, that she would put on that as long as she was in control, she could clearly keep her shit together. But as we start to go at it, uh, it doesn't last long again because I know that the real cool porn star move here would have been to say, hey, you know, how do you like that big dick? Or, you know, <coughs> your pussy is so wet. But instead, <laughs> I look her in her eyes and I say, you're so beautiful. And at this, she stops and she starts crying. And I think, okay, this is it. She's really coming down hard. And so we stop and, and you know, I ask her what's wrong. And she, she grabs her stomach and she says, I, I hate it. I hate it. I fucking hate it. I'm fat. I hate it so much. And she proceeds to tell me about how in the last year she's had a child and she's been having a really hard time losing the last bit of belly fat and starting to affect her at work and she's insecure. And, you know, I, I try to console her and, and compliment her and I say, you're absolutely crazy. Your body is amazing and you're beautiful and I'm not lying at all. I mean, this is a, a beautiful, voluptuous woman. There's just no doubt about it. And this is also the moment where I have to admit to myself especially at the age I was, like, shit's getting a little too real for me right now. Uh, the, wo the woman on top of me uh, is a mother of one, maybe more, uh, might be dealing drugs in my town and might be wanted by the authorities outside my door. I roll... So I, I decide to roll her over uh, and to keep consoling her, and we go into a more gentle missionary position, and I'm giving her gentle kisses and I'm complimenting her and I get the idea that what I should do is I should I should pull out because I, I want I want the compliments that I'm giving her to land right I don't want her to think that, I want her to think that they're sincere not that I'm complimenting her because I'm fucking her so I start to pull out and she won't let me so there is just a complete turn on her face and she leans forward and she grabs me by the ass and just holds me there and I'm in like a mid-reverse thrust, and I'm just so confused, and she's no longer crying. I mean, she suddenly has this like dead glare in her eyes, and she looks at me and she says, I need to tell you a story. <laughs> so, and I say, okay, what stories? Uh, and she tells me the story, and it's the story of the father of her child, and how they, they met, he was a married guy, that she met at the club she works in Anchorage, and they went home together, they had unprotected sex, and she had lied to him about being on birth control, and she had the kid, and is now basically living off blackmailing this guy to keep his secret from his wife. So... <laughs> I am just a total deer in the headlights at this moment, and really kind of focused on my cock, which is now halfway inside perhaps a drug-dealing sociopath <laughs> and does not have a condom on it. And so I am starting to think about the flight schedule. And I'm starting to think, when is the next flight to Anchorage? And can we get on it? And is there enough time to get on that flight in order to get the Plan B built? Or will it be too late? And I am just out of my mind. And then she lets go, 
And she leans back on the bed and she says, I'm just fucking with you. <laughs> she, she says to me, if you're not going to fuck me like a real man, I'm going to fuck with your head. And I am just like frozen in horror. And I'm thinking like, I need to get away from this one, but I don't even know, I don't even know what is real at this point. Like, I don't know if she gets off on just like fucking with people in the head, or if this is some like power play and she needs to get control of the situation back because I made her feel vulnerable, or am I part of some like insane conspiracy and nine months from now I'm gonna get blackmailed into becoming a drug mule and running cocaine into my village? <laughs> And all, all I can think about is, this is too much, obviously I have to get away. So I, I start picking up my clothes, and I start getting dressed, and I start handing her her clothes, and at this, she turns again and just starts bawling. And I, I, I think I just need to get this woman out of my house, but at the same time, there is a side of me that's feeling some compassion. This is a woman who obviously has troubles and I start thinking about the flight schedule again, and I start thinking, you know, we could get a flight to Anchorage, and then we could get a flight to the lower 48, and we could run away, and like she could get away from whatever shit is she's tied up with in Anchorage. Maybe we could take her kid with her. And I, I just, I'm just thinking, in my very naive way, and somewhat fucking condescending now looking back, I'm thinking like maybe I can fix it. I think I can fix it. But then another voice in my head says, you fucking idiot. Not only is that incredibly condescending, but it's that attitude that makes you the perfect mark for a sociopath like this. <laughs> and so I'm a little torn, and Lisa ends up kind of making my decision for me when she grabs my hands and places them on her oversized breasts, and we basically fall asleep spooning. About 5 a.m., we wake up not feeling good, but stone-cold sober and just hung over. And Lisa's awake, too, and at this point, it's pretty easy to convince her to go outside for a smoke, and I walk her back to her brother's house in the village, and I never see her again. And it was about three months after that that I started dating the woman who would become my wife. I met her in the village, too. Uh, and about six months after that... We became exclusive, and we moved in together. We've been happily and, to be honest, somewhat easily monogamous for over 10 years now. And, you know, when I think about why it's been so relatively easy for me to be monogamous for many years, especially compared to, to friends I know who struggle with it, I, mean, I think obviously first of how wonderful and beautiful and sexy and smart and how much my wife is my best friend, but I also think back to what I learned that night with the stripper in that village. And one of the things I think I learned is that, you know, fantasy sometimes is nothing more than a glossy facade, right? I mean, obviously that's kind of, kind of the point. But I also decided that I think that a fantasy can also be a long-term project, even a lifelong project. A fantasy can be something that you build up from a solid foundation. And we've been working on building one for almost 12 years now. 
And I can tell you that today, it's a fucking power. <laughs> Several centuries. tonight. They've been doing really, really wonderful stuff. It, you know, these guys, most of these guys have, are kind of new to having done this before, and I thought everyone has just been really bringing it, worked really hard on their stories, and they've really deepened, and I'm thrilled with the work that everyone's done. And we have just one more. You can find him. He has a Tumblr. His Tumblr is called Daddy Dolls and Doings. <laughs> he is Daddy Morrow, and you can find him there. Please welcome to the stage, Morrow Montoya! Rome was a place I'd always wanted to go to. I'd watch the movies like Caligula and, you know, other, like, hot movies. And I've been thinking, like, those Roman gladiators. And, God damn, I wanted to be there. I really wanted to be in Rome. I'd actually done a hypnotherapy session at one point. And the hypnotherapist said when I came out of it, he said, you told me you were a wine mer merchant in Pompeii. And you had, like, 12 slave boys. I'm like, sounds good to me. <laughs> but I finally got the opportunity to go to Rome. I stayed with a friend. And he had to work during the day. He said, hey, it's a beautiful day out. This was September of 2000. He said, why don't you go out to the beach? So I said, that sounds good. This is my second day in Rome. I'm still kind of recovering from the trip. So I take the train out to the beach. And I'm laying there for a while. And it gets nice. And I see like the dunes. And I see you guys keep kind of wandering off. I'm like, OK, that kind of makes sense to me, because I'm a gay man. And that's what gay men do. They wander off into the bushes. So I, uh, <laughs> so I'm wandering around. I come over this little rise, and I see a towel. And I see these beautiful, like, sort of tan legs there. So I'm like, okay. So I come up a little bit more, and I see, as I'm going up, and I see the thighs. I'm like, ooh, beautiful thighs. Go up a little bit more, and I'm like, oh, man. That's got to be a can and a half. <laughs> <laughs> so I keep going, and there's this beautiful, beautiful man laying there naked, just with his eyes shut, just kind of like has his arms behind his head. And I kind of just stopped because I've been looking at this guy and he's just gorgeous. And I guess he kind of senses my presence because he kind of opened one eye and looked up. But I was like in the sun from where he was. So he's kind of looking and I said, let me move. So I moved over and he looks at me and I look at him. And there's this thing between gay men. It's called your eyes. <laughs> it just sort of happens like, bang, there it is. And you go for it. So he looked at me, and I walked at him, and these green eyes sucked me right in. They were so beautiful. He had medium brown hair. He was just beautiful. Full lips, um, like a Roman nose. Oh, my God, think about that. So <laughs> I walked over to him, and I put out my hand. I said, Mauro. And he said, Riccio. And he said, Italiano. And I said, no, Americano. He goes, oh, Mauro? I said, yeah, Mauro. He goes, oh, OK. So we start talking, and he said, do you speak Italian? I said, no. And he had broken English, so we were trying to communicate, but I don't really think that was on either of our minds, because, you know, uh, I'm like, 
looking down at those can and a half there. And, and finally, I'm like, fuck this. I just grabbed him and I started kissing him. And kissed him so deep. And his lips were just absolutely fucking beautiful and luscious. I was just so into it. And I'm thinking, God, this is going to be so much fun. So we were like playing with each other's bodies. I was touching his nipples. His chest was hard. He was just a little bit taller than me. Um, lean body, a little bit light fur, but it was kind of golden because he'd been in the sun. I guess he'd been at the beach a lot. We're just playing with each other. Um, so I think I kind of like rolls his head over and starts sucking my cock. And I'm like, oh, God, this is great. I'm laying there in the sun. This beautiful Roman is sucking my dick. I'm just having so much, like, you know, my, my head is about to burst. And then I can open my eyes, and there's a circle of people around us. <laughs> so he kind of looks up, too, and we both kind of went like... And it was getting late in the day. And I said, well, I should probably get back because I have to meet my friend. He said, well, why don't we ride the train in together? I'm like, cool, let's do that. So we take the train in together, and at his stop, he says, come find me at the Spanish Steps tonight. I said, how will I find you? He goes, you'll know. Okay. Like a statue or <laughs> like a gladiator maybe so go back with my friend we have dinner and I tell him about this guy I tell him you have to meet him you have to meet him he's so beautiful and he said he'll be at the Spanish Steps this is 11 o'clock at night at this point I'm thinking like, God will he still be there so let's go so it wasn't that far we all walk over to the Spanish Steps and we're there for a little while we're kind of wandering around and looking at things and it's quieted down there's not that many people out there and we're starting to joke around because we're kind of drunk and I'm like oh I'm going to pretend I'm peeing in the fountain because like you know those little statues you see and so I'm standing there like this and I see this horse cop walking towards me so I'm like "Uh, just going to kind of stand here like nonchalantly and this cop on the horse walks right up to me and I'm looking up, and he's looking down. And they wear this kind of little face thing, like right over the lower part of their face. You can't really see what they look like. And here's this beautiful Carbonieri, and this, you know, I could tell he was like a really well-built guy. And there he is on his horse in his Carbonieri outfit. And I'm like, oh, cop van, he's talking about, stop it, I'm in trouble, stop it, I'm in trouble. But I'm, I'm still having cop van as he's here. And he pulls the thing down, and it was Riccio. I'm like, oh, fuck. You're a horse cop. (laughs) And my friends start to notice this is going on because they've been like doing other stuff. And they walk towards us. And I'm like, (laughs) and they're like, I'm saying, it's fucking him, the guy from the beach. Like, oh my God. So they're looking at us and we're talking. And he says, I get off at one o'clock. Why don't you come back? So we go wandering off, and these guys are like, you fucking son of a bitch, look at you with that horse cop. Like I, and my, my friend Jorge that's living there is like, I've lived here two years already, and I've never met a horse cop like that. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, score one for Americano. <laughs> so at one o'clock, he comes and finds us. And... So we've had some more drinks at that point. I'm like really lit. I'm thinking like, oh my God, this guy's so hot. Let's pray he wants to do something. So my friends leave and we are walking around. And we, I mean, clearly we wanted to do stuff with each other because we're like touching each other. And you know, it's Rome. I don't know what it's like there. I don't know how homophobic they are or anything. So I don't really want to hold his hand. I don't like grabbing and stuff. We're kind of like touching each other a lot. So I'm thinking like, yeah, this guy wants to sex as bad as I do. So I tell him, we can't go back to Jorge's because there's a bunch of people there. He goes, well, we can't go back to my place because I have a partner. And he goes, it's okay, we're open. I said, cool. <laughs> so we wander around, and we're 
near all the ancient Roman ruins. I'm fascinated. So like I said, I've always loved Rome, and I'm thinking like, I wish I was in Pompeii right now with my 12 slaves. <laughs> I'd give them to him because he's so beautiful. So I'm there and looking at this stuff, and he's telling me different things about it. And we're just walking around, and I'm thinking like, oh, there's a Roman bathhouse. There's this. There's the Roman Senate. I always hear stories about the Senate cloakroom. Huh, I wonder if that would work. But we finally are walking past the Colosseum. Now, I'd seen it, and we'd gone past it since that was just like my, my, my first day there. But I hadn't gone into the Colosseum yet. So we're walking around, and there's just this chain link fence around it. And earlier when I walked past it, there was a gladiator there. It was really hot. He was like dressed up, and you know, I was like, oh, gladiators. I don't know what it is about gladiators. And that was the same time that the movie Gladiator came out, and I had just seen it. Like, I actually saw it on my flight over to Rome. So it was like fresh in my mind. I'm thinking, gladiators, goddammit. So he kind of looks one way, he looks the other. He bends down, he picks up the fence. And he says, go. I'm like, what? He goes, go, 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 go. I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, just go, go. So he kind of like scoots me under the fence. And I'm like, fuck. He comes under the fence. And I'm standing, I'm like, what if we get caught? He goes, I'm a cop. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So we go wandering. And he says, I've been in here a lot. So we go down this one ramp. And it goes down into the lower parts. How many people have seen Gladiator? You remember where they keep all the gladiators, like slaves and stuff, down the bottom part? So we're walking around, I'm thinking, like, there's been so much fucking hot sex in here. I can just feel it. It's just exploding at me. Like, if you took a UV light in there, oh, my God. (laughs) So we're wandering around, and I'm getting hotter and hotter. And, like, you know, at this point, he's, like, feeling my crotch, and I'm feeling his crotch. And we're, like, kissing and, you know, stumbling around in the dark. And finally, we get up to this top part, because they have, like, scaffolding built over where the slaves used to be so you could see it. So we're in the middle. We're in the exact middle of the Colosseum on one of these scaffolding things. And he drops to his knees and he starts sucking my cock. And I'm like, oh, fuck, this is wonderful. And I'm just standing there thinking like, I want to be a gladiator. I want to be a gladiator. (laughs) And he's really fucking sucking my cock so well. I am just in heaven with it. And he like sticks his hand up and he like quits as he looked down, it's poppers. And I was like, I didn't bring poppers because you know, you don't want to bring them through customs. They're Italian poppers. Ooh, baby. <laughs> They're like nothing like ours. They are amazing poppers. They give you this intense rush that I just wanted to like come right in his mouth right there. But I didn't want to. Because I wanted it to last. It's like, okay, so I grabbed him, stood him up, pulled his pants down, and I started sucking his cock. And just playing with his nipples because his chest was so beautiful. I was rubbing my hands all over him. I was grabbing his ass, which was just a bubble butt. It was so beautiful. And he's like twitching and he's doing the poppers. I'm doing the poppers. And then he starts to get really close too. So I stopped and I just flipped him around. I took his ass that was so beautiful and I just moved it apart and I started just licking his ass as hard as I could. My tongue in and out, like getting it really wet. And he's like moaning and leaning over and. So it was like a, a three-quarters moon coming down. It was, oh, God, it was like, you know, 75 degrees out, this super light breeze. You couldn't even hear the traffic that was going around the circle in Rome. It was just, I mean, like, it was no traffic. It was like I, we'd been transported back to, like, Roman times. I was just so fucking happy about it. And he's moaning like crazy. And I'm like, all right, I've had enough. He's had enough. Jumped up, just slammed my cock into his ass. And we're just fucking like rabbits. And we happen to be facing the way where they're like the emperor's booth would have been. <laughs> and I'm thinking, 
gladiator. <laughs> and I look up, and I swear I saw the emperor go like this. <laughs> so like, I guess I'm hallucinating from the poppers. I don't know, but I swear there was an emperor there. And he did to do a thumbs up. So we're going at it, and we're going at it, and I'm like, oh God, I'm getting so close to coming. He's like, I want to come, I'm going to pull out. I don't want to come yet, I don't want to come yet. So we go stopped again. And he's like, he's like so excited, and he wants to do the same. And he drops to his knees, and he starts like licking my ass. And it was so good. I was just, you know, just like this beautiful slave boy licking my ass, except he's a cop, and I'm like, that's even better. <laughs> I, I'm having like the fucking hottest time of my life. I can't believe I'm having sex in the middle of the fucking Colosseum in Rome, and with this amazingly beautiful boy. He was about 29, and I was 42 at the time, so, you know, I was like, ooh, I still got it. I was happy. I was really happy. He's, like, sucking, I mean, he's, like, sticking his tongue in and out of my ass, getting it all wet, and finally he goes, I want to fuck you. I'm like, I'm mostly a top, and just getting, you know, again, he had the can and a half. I'm thinking, like, I can't do that. And he, like, jams the poppers up under my nose again. I'm like, oh, maybe I can do that. <laughs> So I'm like, just go slow, just go slow, just go slow. So he does, and he starts to like, you know, just edge it in there a little bit and just starts to slowly push and slowly push. And I'm like, okay, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do this. Because you know, at that point, it just really wasn't much of a bottom. I just hadn't really done it much. So I'm really struggling to take this because it was, you know, <laughs> I'm trying, I'm trying. Keep. I just hold the poppers under my nose. I stopped even like trying to get rid of them. I just, and so I'm doing that. And I finally, finally he's getting it in and it, my eyes lit up and he's like, yeah. And he started fucking me and we're just going back and forth as hard as we could and just going at it, going at it, going at it. And, and I was like, I, I hit some other planet. I really did. I mean, like, I don't know what happened to me, but it was just there. I'm having such a good time with this guy. We, we kept fucking, but then we decided to stop for a little while because it just didn't want to come. It was so fucking hot. We didn't want to come yet. So we stopped talking. I mean, we stopped fucking. We're both just kind of laying there really tired, but like really feeling it. And I'm, I'm laying there and I've got my finger up his ass and I'm just playing with the prostate. And he's like kind of moaning a little bit. And we're talking and he's like, how long are you here? And I said, I'm here for another week. And he's like, good. <laughs> and he said, I want to do this every night. Like me too. We went back at it and we started fucking again. I was fucking him as hard as I could. I never fucked that hard before, and I fucked pretty hard. And all of a sudden, it was like my head exploded because my dick exploded, my balls exploded, everything exploded. I felt like I was in a billion pieces. He was just like screaming under me. We had such amazing come together, like right at the same time. I swear to God, it was like, I don't know. I've never had that happen before. And I'm, you know, like I said, I was 42. I had a lot of sex. I had sex on top of trucks moving on the interstate, you know? It's like, <laughs> but the Roman Colosseum, I looked up, and as my head was exploding, I look up, and there's the emperor with double thumbs up. <laughs> Thank you.
This is Risk. This is Hunks and his punks behind me now with a song called Cruising. And, uh, you know, we teach storytelling as well. Part of the Risk family is the Story Studio at thestorystudio.org. And, you know, we have gift certificates that you can buy there. And right now, if you use the promo code HOLIDAY, you can get 20% off of the gift certificates. Now, there's plenty of classes that have been posted for 2015, but there's two workshops coming up this weekend. There's a Storytelling for Business workshop happening this Sunday, the 14th of December. And there's one of our regular two-day workshops, uh, Storytelling for the Stage, the kind that you hear right here on Risk. But you know, those gift certificates could also go toward one-on-one training with me over Skype. Any of the workshops that we teach in Los Angeles or even our six-week workshops here in New York. So be sure to check out all the great deals and gift certificates you can get at thestorystudio.org. Don't forget 20% off with the promo code HOLIDAY. Also, we're very excited to announce that the Risk Shop at risk-show.com now has t-shirts and mugs and totes and phone covers. And there's more than that in our shop. There's Risk episodes. There's the classic episodes from the first and second season. They've all been remastered with the advertisements taken out. And we've got some great deals on buying those as packages as well. That is all at risk-show.com. Now let's get to a story by one of the dearest friends of our show, the legendary, the fabulous, Ms. Dixie De La Tour, who is the host of Body Storytelling in San Francisco. As you know, we recently did a couple of shows alongside Body, but this particular recording comes from a show that they did out there in San Francisco. I wasn't there, but I saw it online, and I had to ask Dixie if we could run it here as well. Here she is now, the fabulous Miss Dixie De La Tour, with a story we call Too Many Cans. The sex party's been going on all night long. And we're in a McMansion in Oakland. It's one of those amazing places with 18 bedrooms and a building out back that has a hot tub and a sauna. And because this sex party is my birthday, some friends of mine have offered to cook a big southern breakfast for all the people who've stayed around. And there have been hundreds of people at this party. There's a lot of people still in this building. I'm sitting in the hot tub with five or six friends and we could smell the biscuits cooking. We could smell the bacon and the Jimmy Dean sausage. And we're sitting there talking about all the crazy things we've done and seen the night before, naked, feeling really good, 
waiting. It's about a half an hour till the breakfast is about to be served. Of the people sitting in the hot tub with me, naked, one of them, this guy who looks a lot like Jeff Goldblum, which if you know me is my ultimate fantasy. Um, Jeff looks at me across the hot tub and he says, hey Dixie, how come in all the years we've been throwing crazy parties together, we've never fucked each other? And I'm like, hmm. And I'm trying to act like I don't really have an answer, but the truth is, Jeff has an 11-inch dick. I have watched a lot of things at those parties. It's like a floor show. This thing is scary big. And I'm going, ah, that's a good question. I don't really know. Huh. And he's like, well, it is your birthday. And we have a little time until breakfast is served. Why don't we run upstairs to take care of that? And I'm, you know, when your birthday comes around every year, you look at your life and you go, what have I achieved? <laughs> and what is still lacking? Have I fucked an 11-inch dick in my life? That would be no. And I'm like, okay, let's do that. Fuck yeah, let's just go do that. Let's do that. We climb out and everybody's applauding. Yeah, go do it. We go up the stairs into one of the 18 bedrooms. And as we're going up the stairs, smell of biscuits everywhere. So I go up the stairs, I'm like, you should know, I'm kind of at the tail end of my period, so I have put a sea sponge up in there, kind of take care of business. So just, you know, it's not going to bother you, but I just thought you should know. And he goes, that's fine, that's fine, don't care. It's going to use a condom, it's cool. We go up to one of the bedrooms. Um, he's very excited because he's like, queen of the sex parties, going to fucking have at that. And I'm kind of like, what did I just say I would do? <laughs> And I get on my hands and knees on the bed, and he puts a condom on, he's getting lube, and he starts to go at it, and as soon as he puts that fucking thing in me, I'm like, this is a really stupid idea. I don't want this at all. And I'm making noises that he thinks are like, yeah, she likes that, and the truth is, get that fucking thing out of me. It's enormous. But you don't wanna say that, because that's rude and I'm committed. And so he starts saying all the great things. Yeah, big ass, it's awesome. You like that big dick, don't you? And I'm like, mm-hmm. And And I feel like one of those hollow chocolate bunnies from Easter. All my organs have been shoved out my throat and there's just barely room enough for his penis inside me. I'm trying to figure out how to get out of this. And as I'm making noises and he's making noises and his dick's getting harder and harder, which is making it worse, I see, I see this hairy arm come through the open door and it's holding a Jimmy Dean sausage biscuit. <laughs> and it says, hey Dixie, we've already had breakfast because y'all been going at it for a while. This is the last biscuit and it's your birthday breakfast. Do you want this? 
And I look over my shoulder at Jeff Goldblum. And I say, I will give you half of it if you take that fucking thing out of my pussy right now. He's been fucking all night. It's fine. We sit naked on the edge of the bed. We break it in half. We sit there. It's fantastic. You know, we go downstairs. We have cheesy grits. We have every southern breakfast item there is that's left because we've been fucking for a while. And eventually, I clean up. I go home. I'm in that post-party bliss. It's been an awesome birthday party. Crazy shit everywhere. And I'm kind of high. I'm really high on my life. And as I'm about to go to sleep at three in the afternoon, I realize I probably might want to get that sponge out of my vagina. So you know how they tell you that the vagina has an ending? What I learned much later is the vagina has a cul-de-sac. It really does. There's a lot of sex educators here who will tell you that's the truth. <laughs> and so I am reaching underneath, trying to grab this thing, and all I can get is the tiniest, I'm pulling out tiny little flecks of sponge. And I'm flicking them and I'm doing it again. So if I'm not already stretched out from the 11 inch dick, I'm sticking my own fucking arm in there and I cannot get it, I cannot get it. Monday comes. It's still in there. And I'm feeling like this is gonna be a problem really soon. I should call a doctor, but I'm kinda embarrassed to call a doctor and say I let a monster cock get inside me. And I thought that there was an ending to the vagina, but apparently I was wrong. And So Tuesday morning, 72 hours or so have passed, and I get a phone call from my friend Julie. Julie's been at the party. She had left earlier. She wants to see, did anything happen after she left? It was a great party. And I happened to mention that I have had a sea sponge inside my vagina for 72 hours. Julie is queer. She knows a lot about vaginas. She's like, have you been to the doctor? I'm like, no. She's a sex educator. Do you think you should go? I'm kind of embarrassed. And she's like, well, just come over and I'll get it out. This is an awkward moment in a friendship when this happens. And I'm like, this feels weird to me. And she's like, so I'll tell you what's going to happen. I just want you to know what you're walking into. You're going to come over to my apartment and you are going to take your bottoms off. You can leave your shirt on. You're going to climb into my clawfoot tub that has no water in it. You're going to throw your legs over the side. I'm going to put on a latex glove and I'm going to get in there in a position you can't get in there and I'm going to get it out. I'm like, that sounds reasonable. So I go over to her house. As I'm walking up the staircase into her railroad apartment, she's standing there and I'm like, I've given some thought to your plan and here's another part of the plan that I would like to have happen. It's been in there for a while. I 
feel less than fresh. So when you get it to a place where I can get at it, like just a little bit, get the fuck out of the room. And she's like, okay, whatever you want. And so I go into the bathroom, I take off my bottoms, I climb into the ice cold closet tub. I'm sitting there with my gaping maw open, waiting for my good friend to come in and essentially fist my vagina. And she walks in wearing a yellow dishwashing glove. I'm like, what the fuck is that? She's like, I'm out of latex gloves. I thought I had some. I'm like, all right, I guess. We're committed, let's do it. So she's leaning over the side and she's just getting it in there and I'm just like, this is not a moment I ever wanted to have in my life. And let's, let's think about how much has been going on down there for days. I'm a little sore and it's getting sore by the minute. She's doing the same thing I am. She could just grab the tiniest bit and there's nothing coming. Tiniest bit. Because you know what? There's not a lot of grip in a fucking dishwashing glove. So eventually she sits on the end of the tub and she gives me a very serious look and she says, I think it's time we had a talk. What's your STD status? I'm like, what? She's like, the glove's not going to work. I'm going to have to stick my bare arm in there. Is there anything I need to know about your past? <laughs> I don't want to have this conversation with you. <laughs> I don't know. It's fine. I get checked. Why are we talking about this? I just want it out. I just want it out. Please get it out. And she goes, okay. Gets rid of the glove, and she inserts her bare arm up inside there. And almost immediately, she grabs it, and I feel it start to move and come out a little bit. And I look her in the eyes, and I say, Get out, get out, get out, get out, get out, get out, get out. And I terrify her, and she runs out of the room and shuts the door. I mean, I don't want to be too graphic. But if your golden retriever came across this on the beach, it would roll in it for sure. I reach into my purse where I have brought a Ziploc bag. I pull it out. I put it in a Ziploc bag. I zip it. I put it inside a plastic grocery bag. Tie it up twice. Put it inside and I wrap it up seven times <laughs> to make sure it's trapped and away from me. And I come out. She's obviously gone and washed her hands very thoroughly. And I see her standing at the end of the railroad apartment looking in the other direction like a dog that's been caught doing something it probably shouldn't do. <laughs> and from about 30 feet away, as I go down the stairs to leave, I go, we'll never speak of this again. <laughs> she goes, I agree. <laughs> a couple months later, I'm at a sex party. Jeff Goldblum walks up to me and he goes, so you know, we were interrupted a while back. And what do you think? You want to give it another go? And I'm sure he's thinking, big deal, what's an 11-inch dick? What's an 11-inch dick? 
What's an 11-inch dick? Followed by your own arm inserted 200 times. Followed by your best friend's arm inserted another 200 times. And I give him a kiss on the cheek, and I say, thanks, darling, I'm good. That is all for this week, folks. This is Pomplamoose behind me now. Don't forget, Risk is in Seattle on December 12th. Come on out and see us. We're going to be in Seattle with Dan Savage. It's going to be a hell of a show. On December 18th, we're going to have our annual holiday shows at the Pit in New York City and at the Nerd Melt Theater in Los Angeles. You don't want to miss those. Those are always so much fun. And then on January 9th, we have a huge show, a big, big, big show at the Bell House in Brooklyn, all a part of our podfest here in New York. I can't announce who yet is going to be there, but it's going to be a very special night. Big, big show January 9th at the Bell House. Don't forget to spread the word. If you like Risk, let friends know where they can find us and how to download the show. You know, on Facebook and Twitter, we're at Risk Show. And on Twitter, I'm at the Kevin Allison. Of course, all of the episodes and our shop and everything else you might want to know about the show is at risk-show.com. And our school is at thestorystudio.org. Keep in mind that Risk is a proud and happy member of the Maximum Fun Network of Podcasts. So many great shows that are part of Maximum Fun, and we're all listener-supported. That means we very much do rely on the financial help of the people who love what we do. So if you are one of those people, go to MaximumFun.org slash donate and make a one-time contribution or become a member and be sure to earmark it for risk. Folks, today's the day. Take a risk.
to live for in this life. A lot of great things, like uh, soda pop, big fresh can of soda pop.